So if you're a casual fan of Major League Baseball, then you've probably tuned in to watch a little bit of the World Series this past week. But if you are a truly dedicated fan, unless the Braves or the Astros are your team, then you're probably more excited about what's going to happen on February 26th than you are about what's going on in game five tonight. Because if you are a diehard baseball fan, then you know that February 26th is the first day of spring training next year. Long before each season starts, teams gather to work on physical conditioning, skill development, position coaching, batting, and a host of other things. Even elite athletes need this training because it's not all about natural ability. It takes hard work to hone the skills necessary to compete at the highest levels. You know, the same is true of our spiritual lives. When we turn to faith in Jesus, we don't automatically become mature, godly, competent people, transformed into paragons of spiritual vitality. We all start out as novices, and it takes time and training to grow in spiritual maturity. That's why when Jesus calls the first disciples, he invited them to spend several years following him so that he could train them. He called them to repent and believe, and then he invited them to follow and become. So throughout this fall, we've been asking this question, why church? And we've been seeking to understand who we are and what we've been called to as God's people. This morning, we're going to consider the idea that's so clearly portrayed in the New Testament that the church is a training ground. Our main text this morning will be Ephesians 4 that Sue just read to us, and you can find it on page 977 in those red Bibles. As we consider Paul's instructions to the Ephesians, I'm going to be making three points, and and I want to just give them to you beforehand. Here they are. The first is we all have different roles. The second is we all share a single goal. And the third is that each of us is a work in progress. So let's begin with verses 11 and 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Several weeks ago, we were introduced to Paul's description of the church as the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12. And in that passage, Paul explains that each of us, each of us is a unique and essential part of the body. And we have a particular role to play that contributes to the overall health and well-being of the whole body. Now, Paul uses this metaphor. He returns to it again and again throughout his letters. And he returns to it here in Ephesians 4 with an emphasis on spiritual gifts, those ways in which God has gifted each of us to serve. He wants the Ephesians to understand their various roles as members of the body of Christ. And in particular, he wants them to understand the responsibility responsibility of those who give leadership within the life of the church and what that has to do with the ministry of every other member of the body. So in verse 11, Paul lists five types of leader, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. The word apostle was used at this time to designate the 12 disciples, including Paul. But the term is also used more widely in the New Testament to describe those who are set apart and sent out to bear the word of God to the people of God. 
The word prophet designates the canonical prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah, but there's a broader sense to this term as well. A prophet is someone specially gifted to discern the counsel of God for a particular context and to share God's wisdom with his people. Then there are evangelists called to proclaim the good news about Jesus, shepherds who care for the flock by leading and feeding, and teachers whose job is to instruct and to inform. About these various people, John Stott writes in his commentary on Ephesians, all five gifts relate in some way to the ministry of teaching. Although there are neither apostles nor prophets in the original sense today, There are evangelists to preach the gospel, pastors to tend the flock, and teachers to expound the word. Nothing is more necessary for the building up of God's church in every age than an ample supply of God-given teachers. So when I was ordained, I was given a Bible. And as the bishop set it in my hands during the service of ordination, this is what he said to me. He said, receive this Bible as a sign of the authority given to you to preach the word of God and to administer his holy sacraments. Do not forget the trust committed to you as a priest of the church of God. So in our Anglican tradition, priests are ordained, set aside, for a ministry of feeding the church with the word of God and through the sacraments. And whenever someone is ordained, he or she is given a Bible as a reminder of this task. These lines from the ordination service are probably the most clear and concise job description I can think of for a pastor. My job, my main job, is to feed you a regular feast from Scripture. But what's the purpose? What's the purpose of this preaching and teaching and feeding? Is it to increase the theological knowledge and doctrinal precision of a congregation? Well, surely that's part of it. But there's more to pastoral preaching and teaching than the transfer of information. So take another look at verses 11 and 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So in the New Testament, all of God's people are called saints. This means, the term means holy ones. Saints are not super Christians. They're every Christian. Paul's use of this term reminds us that through the reconciling work of Jesus Christ, we have been made holy in God's sight. And his use of the term makes clear the kind of lives we're called to live, holy lives. So you are the saints. You are the saints and you have a job to do. Paul calls it the work of ministry. Another way to translate this phrase is work in his service or works of service. So I sometimes get asked the question, John, what's the church going to do about X? And typically what the person means when they ask this question is either, John, what are you personally going to do about it? Or what program is the staff team going to create in order to address it? And so what what so often lies behind this question is the assumption that the work of ministry 
is done by the staff and clergy of a church. But do you see how Paul is flipping this completely on its head? The work of the church, the ministry of the church is done by every member of the body of Christ. My job in the body is to equip you, to teach, to train, to feed you a steady diet of God's word. Your job is to do the works of service that you've been particularly gifted to do as the body of Christ. This means that not only do you need to know and understand the basics of the Christian faith and what it means to live a Christian life, you need to know who you are, how God has gifted you, and where the needs of this world match up with the gifts that you've been given. A few years ago, my wife, Alicia, went back to school to earn a certificate in teaching English to non-native speakers. After completing her training, she started teaching members of the refugee community through Wake Tech Community College. Alicia also happens to be a gifted writer. And during this same time, she has taken on a, a sequence of jobs doing freelance writing and some editing. By the way, I did ask her permission to talk about her this morning, in case you're, in case you're wondering. Um, over the past few years, she's been working to discover and to develop the particular gifts that God has given her. And those gifts have taken her in a number of different directions. Recently, through volunteering at Refugee Hope, which is one of our mission partners here at Holy Trinity, Alicia became aware of their need for a writer someone who could come alongside members of the refugee community and help tell their stories to a, better, to a, bitter, a bigger audience. It's a remarkable convergence of her gifts and training with a need in the community. And you know, it took the body of Christ to help her along the way. First, there was Kathy Baggett. Kathy's a member of Holy Trinity and was Alicia's boss at Wake Tech who gave her the opportunity to teach. Then there were the writing opportunities uh, through a publication with Focus on the Family where she was honing the craft of telling other people's stories. Then there was Michelle, the director of Refugee Hope Partners who brought this particular need to Alicia because she knew her gifts and her background. Now that's just one person's story. Each of us has gifts for ministry. And each of us is called to use them for building up the body of Christ. This takes time. It takes self-awareness. It almost always means further training of one kind or another, either, uh, either explicit professional training or just the simple training of being alongside someone. It requires an awareness of other people's skills and other people's needs. Because so much of the work of the body of Christ is the work of connecting one part to another. Now my job in all of this is to teach, to feed, to train, to equip. Yours is to embrace responsibility, to discern the gifts God has given you, and then to work creatively to build up the body of Christ in concert with others. You know, a great example of this division of labor actually took place yesterday right here on our property. Yesterday morning, I was hidden away in my study at Trinity House, finishing up my sermon, preparing to do my job of teaching. And at the same time, roughly 50 of you 
were hosting the Trunk or Treat event in our parking lot, an event that was attended by several hundred people, many of whom had never been to Holy Trinity before. While I was preparing to teach and to train, you were here to connect with members of our community, to minister to kids and their families, and to represent the love of Christ to our city. The church is a training ground where we all have different roles. And in this work, we share a single goal. That goal is maturity. And this is my second point. So let's go back to Ephesians 4 and pick up at the end of verse 12. Paul writes, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and and deceitful schemes. For Paul... Maturity means looking more and more like Jesus, what he calls the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, we we tend to think of maturity in individual terms, but Paul is talking about the maturity of a whole community. And that means there's a difference between an immature church and a mature church. An immature church, Paul explains, it gets tossed about like a, like a sailboat in a storm. It's not rooted in the gospel, but it gets swept off course by bad teaching or by the pressure of popular culture. And this immaturity is rooted in hearts that haven't been fully converted to Jesus. So look at verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now do you see how Paul links the life of the mind to the state of one's heart. Ignorance is rooted in hard-heartedness. So this means you can know a lot about Jesus. You can memorize loads of scripture. You can have precise orthodox theology but still be deeply immature because your heart is hard and calloused. Now a mature church, by contrast, is united in its understanding of the faith and in its knowledge of Jesus. This means that the preaching and teaching of the church is clear, consistent, rooted in Scripture, and preoccupied with the person of Jesus. But faithful teaching is just the beginning. What's taught needs to be lived out corporately from a shared heart. As Paul says in verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each joint is working properly, makes the body grow so that that it builds itself up in love. A mature church is a church where the members know each other, love each other, and tell the truth to each other 
in order that we might look more and more like Christ together. So church is a team sport. Church is a team sport and it takes all of us to grow in maturity together. Now I wanna make a plug here for community groups and for other small groups. The way this kind of growth happens best, it's in the context of a smaller community. The teaching and the training you receive here on Sunday mornings is vital, but it's not enough. We need each other. We need others to help us figure out how God has gifted us. We need others to to help us see how the gifts match up to the needs of the world. We need others to come alongside us with gifts that complement ours so that working together we can serve more effectively. We all have different roles for which we've been specifically gifted by the Holy Spirit and we all share a single goal, maturity, which is the virtue not just of individuals but of the whole community. My last point very briefly is this, it's that each one of us is a work in progress. So in verse 20, Paul shifts from talking about the heart problem of an immature community to the miracle of transformation that lies at the heart of a mature community. He says, but that's not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. At the heart of our faith is an understanding that this life we share is one of ongoing transformation in the context of community. You and I, we are constantly shedding our old skin and donning a new self created to look and act like God. As you know, and as I know from experience, this is a slow and uneven process that requires tenderness and patience with each other. Paul goes on in the verses that follow to talk about truth-telling, how to deal with anger, the need for pure and godly speech, and the importance of forgiveness. We need to be reminded of these things when we're engaged in a work as difficult as being the church. So the church is a training ground where each of us is given a different role. My role and that of a number of other leaders is to feed you faithfully from scripture, explaining God's word and its implications for us today. Yours is to digest, to reflect, and to apply that word. Working together according to the unique ways God has gifted you to build up this body into maturity and to share the love of God to the world around us. As we go about this work, we're conscious that we're all works in progress and we're dependent on the Holy Spirit and on one another. So you all know as well as I do that what we're doing here is not easy, but I will tell you it is glorious. And the hard work of training together, it's worth it as the joy and the beauty and the grace of Jesus Christ 
are manifest in our midst. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, would you do this work of transformation in our hearts and minds? Would you shape us that we might look more and more like you? That we as a community gathered, exercising our gifts, fulfilling our roles, might shine your glory to the world around us. Give us patience with one another in this ongoing work and give us joy in the mission that you've given your church. We pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.